0: I've been uh, leading an Old Testament survey survey course on Thursday evenings, and this past week our reading included portions of the Old Mosaic Law, starting with the Ten Commandments, but then also many of the other laws pertaining to social organization, food, sex, and so forth. It had been a while since I had read through these chapters, but I was once again struck in particular about the number of provisions pertaining to slave ownership. Most Christians are unfamiliar with these so-called laws because we've left slavery behind in history's dustbin, or so we think. But actually, you know, friends, the Bible is at best somewhat Ambivalent on the matter of slavery. And indeed, the tradition tells us that Moses stipulated a number of laws for ordered slaveholding. Thousands of years later, slaveholding Christians relied upon these sorts of texts as proof that slavery was not antithetical to Christianity along with its incipient racism. Fortunately, biblical themes pertaining to Jesus' remarkable inclusion of every outcast and outsider within God's kingdom of grace ultimately triumphed, as did his summary of the law, which serves as our mission statement here at Christ Church. You remember how he summarized by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added, he said, on these two commandments, these commandments to love, hang all of the law and the prophets. Now, the legacy of the aberrant theology still lingers in our culture, doesn't it? In the form of racist systemic structures and attitudes and in phrases like white nationalism even if they happen to be spoken by people who identify as Christian. And remember that it wasn't so long ago that the Ku Klux Klan rampaged through our land with their burning crosses, counting many millions of members. And most of those would have been members of local Christian congregations. Now, friends, I share this as a simple reminder that religious traditions of every stripe have their haunting skeletons. Our tradition, no less so. It's important to remember that when we read about all sorts of other religions around the world. And by the way, this also includes non-theistic movements relying on rationalistic formulations a la Nazism and Stalinism, to name just a few famous ones. Human contradictions exist wherever humans happen to live and have their being, regardless of their official religion or even unofficial religion. Now you've heard me say more than once in here that I believe everyone has a religion. That is, everyone has a first principle, or God, small g, defining how the world and cosmos are organized and describing the meaning of human existence. Everyone operates from a point of view. operate from a point of view about their existence, whether or not they do this consciously. And this point of view predicts their patterns of behavior, regardless of what they say is their point of view. Atheists identify as non-religious, but you know as well as I do that some speak with as much arrogant truth-telling as any Bible-thumping fundamentalist advancing their own brand of ultimate truth. I do not believe that humans have any chance of escaping this predisposition for what I'm referring to as religious belief. It seems a genetically embedded aspect of our nature. We are hardwired for it. This belief might be theistic, or anti-theistic, or something in between, but the competition for our transcendent allegiance is fierce out beyond these walls. It's fierce. The 250 Americans who went abroad to join the ranks of ISIS made a conscious choice about which sort of God, which organizing principle they would follow. For most of them, their allegiance was drawn out of the Internet, but we should be clear that all of the rest of us make choices about whom we will follow as well, whether we are conscious of this or not. All of us follow some ordered path in the world. In this time frame, there's no question that Traditional religions are facing very strong headwinds in American culture. What could be less hip than identifying as Methodist in 2019 New York City? This may be less apparent today in, say, Savannah, Georgia, but the spigot is locked on open for the draining of traditional religious identity from American culture still, this does not mean that the American population's predisposition for belief disappears. Instead, I think it, it sort of goes incognito. Everybody still awakens every morning, subscribe to a set of organizing criteria that patterns their ethics, their relationships, and their values. Everyone has this predisposition for belief, of some sort or another. All of your friends have it. All of your co-workers have it. All of your family members have it. They have a predisposition for this. And this is important to keep in mind as those of us who consciously and deliberately follow after the way of Jesus face those strongly opposing headwinds in our culture. I think it's important to name this for our own sake, for the sake of our faith. These strong headwinds prevent you from speaking of your Christian identity very much at all, at the job, at a bar, or social scene, or among your larger group of friends. Those headwinds are pushing at you all of the time to keep your mouth shut. Right. Still, no one can escape the matter of choosing which gods they will follow. Pressure builds to choose the popular trending point of view. Truth claims fiercely compete for our allegiance. And as you've heard me say repeatedly, there is both very good and very bad religion and many gradations in between. Indeed, how we define the good is dependent upon our transcending point of view. Jesus has been my mentor in this, my point of view. I think of him as mentor with a capital M. As scripture puts it, the way, the truth, and the life. Which brings me to this particular day in this sanctuary. We read about Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan, which became a marker for those who found his teaching especially resonant with their own best instincts. Baptism became a way to formally and personally identify with him and his program and a way to join with others who also found astonishing, life-changing hope in the God Jesus revealed. Over time, once Christianity became the official religion of the Western world, baptism became more of a cultural marker than a spiritual one, blending with other cultural markers and functioning a bit like a tribal tattoo. Over many decades and centuries, debilitating accretions obscured Jesus' way of life in the world from time to time. And for instance, it doesn't take a learned scholar to tell us that Jesus would never have owned a slave. I mean, to even say such a thing sounds ridiculous in the extreme, and yet large portions of the church were deeply devoted to that conviction, completely ignoring who Jesus might have been in the matter. Jesus modeled a way for us to understand God's liberating movement in the world, right? The debilitating accretions are like barnacles that attach to the hull of a ship if it stops moving forward, rotting away in the water. The church has been like this from time to time, but periodically some prophets rediscover the authentic core of our tradition, the thread connecting with Jesus, shake off the rotting accretions, and once again set off in a life-transforming direction. We read about that thread in our scriptures. In a sense, that's what the scriptures are for, to keep us as close as possible to the struggle for understanding the essence of what it means to be human in the best sense of the word, especially as this revolves around the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. Millions and millions and millions of people have found the deepest spiritual connection with his witness and the God he experienced and shared. And I would say to you, that's true for me. Now, I grew up in a Christian household and was baptized as an infant. I don't remember that, of course, but my life could have turned out quite differently even so, like it has for so many other people who had the tribal watermark and have now drifted away from the tribe. I don't understand this really, but at a rather early age, I was very keenly aware of a sacred presence in my life. I didn't have language for it. And it wasn't a person exactly, but a pervading loving presence of which I felt a part, something or someone that had only my best interests at heart. By the time I drifted off to college, I announced I was an agnostic, since that did seem the smart and hip posture to adopt at that time. Who wasn't an agnostic, you know? I was too, I said. But the truth is, I was lying. I could not shake this pervading presence. And eventually I realized this presence was among my most important certainties. I couldn't have been talked into denying it. That would have been akin to like saying my name was not Stephen Bauman. I discovered that some of the religious language I had learned growing up provided a means to greater understanding of what I was experiencing. I was attracted to Jesus the man, that is, his humanity, which seems so clear in the gospel stories. I recognized early on that the essence of his message, this loving God above everything else and loving my neighbor as myself, was really devilishly difficult and truly, truly easy to ignore in favor of self-serving, narcissistic ends which seemed the popular gods of the day. It's a constant struggle in its way then. And I discovered that the love Jesus lived and taught is the most compelling and simultaneously most demanding discipline there is for those who want to grow into the full height of their humanity. But here's the thing. Seeking to grow into those heights is a choice. It's a choice. So coming round every year at this time in our worship cycle, we remember this choice in the mark of our baptism. That's what we're doing today. I suppose that to the uninitiated, this might seem like so much mumbo-jumbo, but for those with a heart for loving God and neighbor, this is nothing less than an af- reaffirmation of the things that matter most of all binding us together in a common cause, facing very strong headwinds. In other words, it's important. It's important. Whether you have been baptized or not, When in a short while you feel a drop of water, consider that in that moment a voice is heard. You are my son, you are my daughter, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. Let that settle into your consciousness. Let it seep way down into your cellular membranes. And then consider the choices that realization set before you.